gets into a really bad car accident. The man rushes from work over to the hospital. The doctor comes out. He goes, sir, it's, it's really bad news. Your wife was in a horrible car accident. Her face and body are totally mangled. Uh, she'll be crippled and paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, she's she's going to need a 24-hour care of which your insurance is not going to pay for. You're going to have to wash her and feed her and keep turning her over in case she gets bed sores and rubbing ointment on her. And you'll have to change her pretty constantly because she'll have no control over her bladder or bowels. And the man breaks down crying. And the doctor goes, I'm just fucking with you. She's dead. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a special episode of uh, Carnival Personnel Sideshow. I'm Jacques. I'm Joe. And Joe, why don't you tell the fine people why we're here? Or first of all, uh, yeah, go ahead. Tell people why we're here. Well, uh, as everybody heard through Jason Alexander's Twitter, Gilbert Gottfried died this week. Uh, kind of out of the blue. Another contemporary of Norm MacDonald's. Um, I guess had a an illness that he kept secret and was battling quietly for I I don't know for some time and um I guess he was I think in good spirits up to about a week ago because I saw that somebody posted a cameo that he did from a week or so prior to his death and he was you know Gilbert as usual so yeah Gilbert Gottfried is gone he was 67. He died from a complication from a type of muscular dystrophy, which was, in my mind, I immediately went, oh, that's why he was nice to Jerry Lewis. <laughs> he was, all, no, you know what? He, he was, was nice all, to Jerry Lewis because he was always nice to me. So Joe and I have been doing, you know, trying to do comedy together for a while. And Gilbert is somebody that we both, it's one of those things when we would tell people what fans of Gilbert we are. I think a lot of people are like, really? I don't think people know how great and well-rounded he is because you, you, you see, you hear the voice, which is very off-putting uh, to some management, for instance. Um, there's been times I've said, oh, here's somebody you have to listen to this podcast. And she just couldn't. Uh, there's, no, there's no right way to start, you know, this. So we'll just, just dive right in uh, uh biff by the way uh isn't as as first in the gilbert universe as as joe and myself so he's like yeah why don't you guys just do this um so anyways where where do we start joe where do we start oh boy well i guess you start at the end he's dead he's dead right okay. all right now you work backwards all right he, you got an illness you know it's funny that you said he's <laughs> He's dead, and it, it kind of made a joke about it. And there was a bunch of comedians who were making Gilbert dying jokes, and all of them said, "Man, Gilbert would have loved that." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, basically, I thought that Affleck kind of missed an opportunity to make a tasteless joke about Gilbert's death. Right? Seriously, you know, they could have finally gotten some sort of like poetic justice in the end, but no, they took the higher road apparently. So, yeah, I mean, where do you start? I. I rewatched the Gilbert documentary from 2017. It was free on Pluto TV, so I had to watch it with some commercial interruptions, but, you know, it was okay. 
and it, but they left, you know, it wasn't censored or anything, but so you got to hear all of it. You got to hear him, you know, uh, doing his famous aristocrats joke at the Hugh Hefner roast a week after 9-11 as he was trying to dig out from a hole he had dug himself by making a 9-11 joke where famously he said, I wanted to make a direct flight from here to L.A., but I can't because we have to make a stop at the Empire State Building. And, you know, immediately too soon groans. This is literally a month after 9-11. Right. In New York City. In New York City. And so then he just says, fuck it. And he goes into the aristocrats joke, which nobody in outside of the comedy world might have even known what the fuck he was doing because that was a joke that was only told amongst comedians like in the back rooms. And it's sort of like this, I mean, now because of the documentary, the aristocrats exposing what the joke was, that it's like this, it's basically jazz for comics where they could just come up with the most obscene, gross, wrong things to say about a family act, trying to pitch their show idea and their act to a talent agent. And yeah, it was, it, it put Gilbert on the map yet again. You know, Penn Pen, Pen and Teller produced that Aristocrats movie, right? I think they were part of it. Paul Provenza was the director, but maybe Penn Jillette. I think Penn Jillette had a, a major hand in that. If anyone hasn't seen the Aristocrat documentary, you have to. And it's great because I think you said it the other day that Gilbert Gottfried is a comedian's comedian comedian. Yeah, somebody, I think uh, I stole that tweet from uh frank conniff tv's frank from mystery science theater who posted that i think it was him <clears throat> but yeah he was just above and beyond any comedian i mean we said the same thing about norm mcdonald when he passed that he was just like a unique voice and he was but gilbert i mean i think norm was reverent to gilbert's genius yeah. because he was just that kind of comedian you know he was just the guy who and it even in the documentary they say you don't tell Gilbert what not to say because he'll only want to say, say that, that yeah. thing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I can go as far back as you want with Gilbert Gottfried uh, uh, history, I guess. So so we'll, we'll go back to our beginning. So Joe and I are doing a comedy show, a cable access show. Comedy and, in 17 quotation marks, by <laughs> the way. And... I think it might have been the first impression that you did, you know. Al Caprillion might have been the first okay, one. Al Caprillion. He's a local weatherman in, in the New England area, for somebody who doesn't know. Uh, dude, completely on the spectrum. Kind of talks a little like Gilbert, kind, to be honest. And Gilbert was probably on the spectrum. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so Joe would do, you know, a really good Gilbert. No, so, no, no, no. I did he a did Gilbert. And, you know, it's one of those things. Everybody thinks they can do a Gilbert, but yours is pretty good. And, you know, we've we've done self-indulgent theaters on this podcast where you've sung songs as Gilbert. No, you have a good Gilbert. But way back in, and I want to say, 94, 95, we did an episode of our show where we did USA Up All Night. And we made a really bad, like, Skinamax kind of movie trailer. Yeah, I think I forget what we actually produced them. Did we actually do a movie? You know what? Hold on. Uh, let, let me jog your memory. Uh, let me get out of this restrictive clothing. 
Oh God, yes. <laughs> Is it yeah. coming back to you? All right, yes, and the bad editing and all that, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it right, was... it was the cheesiest like hack porn parody kind, or you know, uh, soft core. Parody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had some cute girls, like a friend of one of the cast members, like sister's friend or something and she was great was she but, emma sherbet emma sherbet was the character's name but it, it'd be like you know somebody would say a line hold for a second and then you would hear cut you know, oh, right, yeah. yeah and then i played gilbert as doing the intro a la his stint on usa up all night which if you don't know usa up all night then you weren't masturbating in 1990 that's just that's what i think Anybody with basic cable who didn't have access to a what would be the internet five years or ten well, years. Well, if you didn't now, have HBO or Showtime, you yeah. have basic cable and you have the USA Network. This was as close to porn, soft porn, as you could get. Yeah, it was Friday nights and Saturday nights. I think what was it? Gilbert did a stint from like eighty-eight to like ninety-two, ninety-three, and then Rhonda Shear. Took over, or was it the other way around? Which, which it was great because when we were talking about doing the podcast, which I did, I I called Joe. Actually, Joe broke the news to me. Uh, I was at the gym with my oldest, and my wife called. I let it go to voicemail. She called like a couple minutes later. I saw a text, and then I saw Joe called. And I'm like, oh shit, this must be something. Something's going on. Yeah. And Joe, Joe broke the news to me, and I walked right outside, and we talked about it for like you know, 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, look, we got to do a podcast. I promise, and I, I'm sticking to it. I'm not going to ask you to do the Gilbert voice. It's just going to come out. I think but it already you, came out. You can't. Right? I was going to say that. but And one of the things – so going back to the, the sketch comedy show we did, and again, it was like 94, 95. And I remember you saying it then, and you said it the other day when we were talking. You had the softcore, you know – like movies for for teenagers and at the same time the biggest boner killer you know introducing going in and out of all the commercial breaks gilbert's grating voice and gilbert he himself would admit that he would be at home jerking off to these movies if you weren't hosting the intros and <laughs> outros you know it'd be like ski school or you know maybe like an edited version of fast times or something like that it was uh so so that was that was way back then and um and I, I remember the line that I was embarrassed to say then and I should I say now sure I think oh God uh, God forgive me and please don't cancel me but um I said as I was doing the Gilbert voice and I was kind of fumbling my way out of it kind of like the way I close out every podcast that I'm part of here when I got to the end I go um. You know, you'll you'll enjoy this movie, or or you won't. I don't care. Sue me. You know how us Jews like to get sued. <laughs> I'll be hearing from you in the mail, like that. <laughs> uh, which again is something that Gilbert, if he had ever heard or seen the skit, he would be rolling. I, you, you right, know. anything with Jews and suing. Oh, and he, he loved. I mean, so so that was the beginning of Joe and I doing comedy, and and him doing that, and. Joe and I always talk about there's just things that we say every day in our life or that we pick up from movies, uh, pop culture places that are are, are, are flashpoint touchstones in, in, our, in our life where I can just text him one line or I can just say one thing. And there's a good half a dozen things that we have taken 
from the Gilbert universe and we use on an almost every conversation basis. Let me start. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think everybody who listened to his podcast kind of picked up on how he wasn't very good at accepting compliments, uh, giving compliments, um, interacting with people, this, that, the other thing. And so eventually, through his wife and kind of training him on how to be a normal person, I think he they finally settled on a phrase or a way of accepting a compliment from a fan. Like, hey, Gilbert, I'm a you know huge fan and I really enjoy your work. And his stock response would be, oh, thank you. Because before, I mean, if he, so he had his podcast. He was kind of early to the dance of podcasting. He started his podcast in 2014. Gilbert Gottfried's colossal, amazing, podcast. amazing, amazing, colossal podcast. And he hosts it with a, with a writer, Frank Santo Padre. And it's true. If somebody tried to compliment it, he would turn it around or just make a joke or make it awkward or just like, oh, you were great in this. Oh, your, your CNI dog was lying. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's like, and so finally, I think, I, I think, like you said, his wife and his co-host, at one point said, hey, because the show started. I like the show in the beginning. The show, Gilbert has, what do you call it, like this this recall with, with movies and TV shows that a made-for-TV movie in 1968 that he saw once, he can quote verbatim. And, and sing the theme song, right. too. Now, like It would creep people out and make them delightful, but they'd also be like, Wait a minute, is that on Apple iTunes? How do you know that song? He would hear a song once and know it. But he loved the character actor. He that's what he was. You know, he he and I, I just remember one of the first times Joe was early to the dance with, with the podcast and I, I checked it out. And I I liked the show Car Fifty Four Where Are You? And they had like some bit it wasn't one of the main two characters. I don't think it was a guy in the opening credits. But they had an actor who maybe did four or five episodes of that show and two or three episodes of The Monster. And they would read the guy's IMDb page or they would have a henchman from the original Batman show who turned out to be a henchman in two episodes with the Riddler. And then he was a henchman for two episodes with the show. And, and it was great. But then they started to get bigger and bigger name actors. And I think the show started to get bigger and, and it stopped being so niche, you know, with the, with the bigger names and stuff. And I think that's when his wife and his co-host was like, okay, we gotta, we, you know, you're on the spectrum. We understand that, but let's kind of get let's you to Let's narrow us. that spectrum a little <laughs> a bit. Let's kind of get like a little laser focus on your behavior. So, yeah, but, you know, going back to his humble uh, beginnings, you know, I guess he grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, father was a hardware store owner guy. Um, mother was, I, I forget what the mother, if the mother had like a side job or something, but he also had two sisters. And quiet kid, you know, obviously sat in front of a TV most of his childhood. And then uh, at age 15, he got up the gumption to decide to maybe try stand-up comedy. And then he eventually started getting paid a little bit to do stand-up comedy, like in his late teens. And, you know, parlay that into, a, 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 a you know, a name. 
eventually he got cast as part of the replacement cast for the Not Ready for Primetime players on Saturday Night Live. He was part of the infamous Gene Dumanian season, season six of SNL from what? I think that was 80 to 81. 1980 to 81, yeah. Um, and the story goes, you know, as Gilbert would say, he, you know, he didn't write for himself and he didn't know how to interact with other writers to put him into sketches. So they would put him in a couple of things. But then towards the end of the season, as Gilbert recalled once, they were doing a sketch about a funeral and he played the body and the casket. That's how low they probably thought of him or just basically had no use for him um, in their eyes. And then he goes on to tell the story about how he found out he was fired, where they were all uh, called to, I guess, it was Dick Eversall's office. And I think Dick Eversall was getting taking over for Gene Domanian, who got fired. And uh, they were going to go through the cast and just sort of like let them know what's going on. And as he's waiting to go into the office, he goes by a table that has a lot of fan mail and he sees one letter for him, which is kind of unusual for Gilbert Gottfried on Saturday Night Live. So he opens it up and he reads it from like a girl in Wisconsin He goes, that reads, Dear Gilbert, I'm so sorry to hear that you were fired from Saturday Night Live. Oh, I did not know that story. And he's waiting in line to hear about what his fate is going to be. Oh, yeah. And so it's brutal. So, but you know, he, he recovers and, um, he, uh, you know, he, he goes on to do more stand up, and, um, then he kind of like falls out of the light. Uh, he, he fall, no, he goes to do a thick of the night. Alan Thick's thick of the night TV show. He's like the guy in the rafters kind of like almost like Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott was Dave Letterman's man under the floor. Yeah. <laughs> he was Alan Thick's man in the rafters. Yeah. And it was, again, Another failed experiment of a comedy show, but it kept him kind of in the sights of Hollywood and enough to kind of carry him on to eventually get cast. I don't know if his big, like, I guess his first big movie was Beverly Hills Cop 2 as the guy who tries to bribe uh, Eddie Murphy. And it's basically a two minute scene that you can see the scene on YouTube. And, uh, but that, like, you know, it shows the Hollywood and a much larger audience. Oh yeah, look at this weird, funny guy with a funny voice. Maybe, maybe there's he's good for here. something. Maybe there's something here, right? And, and you know, ne- never, never a huge star, but never out of work, really. You know, uh, it's funny again. So you gotta watch the Aristocrats documentary. It's great. His documentary is great, and it is funny how, as much as like he would make, you know, Jews are cheap jokes. He he would always he was it was it his hoarding or was it his cheapness? He would take buses to shows. He didn't fly. He would rather take a bus and save like fifty dollars on airfare. But uh, in the documentary, he hoarded all like the bar soap and the shampoo from the and he from would hotels. ask for oh can I get extra soap and shampoo? I want to take two showers today. Yeah, I mean I think it stems from. I, I'm guessing there must have been some sort of like passed down, like almost like depression era mentality of saving money or or, or not spending, um, just not spending on things that you didn't have to spend money on. 
but he carried that. But he'd never and, use it. Well, he wouldn't, especially with himself. I'm sure, like, you know, they live in a pretty nice apartment. You know? No, but I'm talking like the soaps and shampoo. Oh, right. Oh, right. Like yes. Just... That, yeah, it was uh, clearly an obsession. And in the documentary, you see his wife, while Gilbert's out of town, going through bins that are tucked under their bed, stocked full of bar soaps and, and, and deodorants and all travel size, mm-hmm. you know, accoutrement of, um, uh, of hygiene. And so when, he, when Joe says he was out of town, he was cutting back and forth to interviewing the wife at the apartment to him getting on a bus to go to a show like eight hours away. And the people at the Greyhound bus station is, is that Gilbert Godfrey? Yeah, <laughs> like, he, why is he on the bus? He posed for pictures with like passengers and stuff. And they're like, yeah, he would take a mega bus to the airport. Like he wouldn't, they wouldn't, if a car was being hired, great. If he, if not, he's taking the mega bus. He's not hiring a car. He, he didn't know how to drive. He didn't drive a car. Um, there's a famous, famous story about Gilbert Gottfried being picked up to go to a party, a dinner party at Amy Heckerling's house back in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, I won't ruin, spoil the whole story, but it's uh, Amy Heckerling had a nanny who also like ran errands for uh, her you know, as well. And one of the errands was to pick up Gilbert Gottfried from the airport to bring him to this to the house for the party. And she's, uh, I guess, the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. And for some reason, she thought that because Gilbert's Jewish, that she would feel comfortable telling her him this fact about her family. And the first thing that Gilbert thought in, in his mind was like, what an awful weird thing to like, break the ice about. You know, just because we're both Jewish doesn't mean we want to all automatically talk about the worst thing to happen to the Jewish people. But she felt like she had to bring this up to Gilbert. And so he just start laid into her in his Gilbert way, like, oh, well, how do they how do they stay so thin? You know, <laughs> and then this story got out, you know, back and forth. And eventually this story was told on the Howard Stern show. And then two weeks later, though. The nanny called into the show, and Gil Ebert was invited back to discuss, to relive that encounter. And it's like one of the most classic moments on Howard Stern with between Gilbert Gottfried, Amy Heckerling, and Amy Heckerling's nanny about, you know, this odd encounter and how Gilbert was, you know, too cheap to get a car and all of this stuff. But then basically, like, make and then, and then continuing the Holocaust jokes about her parents on the air to this woman on the well, phone. The, the thing is, you can't shame. Gilbert Godfrey, like you, because he is the king of. Oh, you're gonna make fun of me? Well, buckle up, because I know shit that you can't possibly imagine. I'm more fucked up than you'll ever imagine. And here it is. Oh, I mean, there was another story where he went. He was booked to open for. I don't know if it was Belinda Carlisle or the Go Go's. I want to say Belinda Carlisle, and the audience is full of like you know teenage girls waiting for Belinda Carlisle. His audience, right? (laughs) His people. So, of course, the producers and the stage manager kind of brief him like, okay, you know, it's kind of a younger audience. So I I know your routine can be kind of raunchy. So maybe try to keep it a little clean. Of course, he gets up on stage and he probably says the C word about 50 times. (laughs) (laughs) And he tells the story on the air on the Howard Stern show. So 
I mean, and just to wrap up the Howard Stern. No, no, thing. don't wrap it up because the Howard Stern stuff is huge. Yes, huge, huge. I mean, I mean, oh. it was just a few years ago. I don't know what. Oh, for some reason, did Andrew Dice Clay die? Is he? Is he dead? No, no, he's no okay. Alive. But for some reason, you 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 forwarded me uh, Gilbert Dice Clay. Yes, Gilbert Dice Clay. I think it was born on the on the radio show, and then. <clears throat> In 1990, Howard Stern had the Channel 9 WOR show in New York that competed with Saturday Night Live. It was an 11 p.m. show, but it was, you know, live to tape. <clears throat> and it, um, you know, it was a, a video version of his radio show, but it was completely produced outside of the radio studio. And so they would have, you know, celebrity, quote unquote, celebrity guests come on. And Gilbert was one of these guests. And he was there to, I guess, kind of roast and rib this. In 1990, it was kind of, I guess, to Howard and his audience, maybe funny to have a comic come on who claimed to be like a gay comedian. Well, he was a gay comedian, but he was a, he was a like kind of a very green bad stand-up, you know. Hateful. I remember this. Very. Yeah, I forget the guy's name, but they brought him on. And unbeknownst to this comic, they also brought in uh, Gilbert Dice Clay, which is Gilbert wearing a huge oversized leather jacket with like bedazzle on there, a la, you know, Andrew Dice Clay. And he would come out and he'd be like, you know, what are you, uh, Homer? Whoa! Hey, dickery, And he would just. You so know, obnoxious, very obnoxious, and he would try. He would have a lit cigarette, and he would like try to smoke it, or, or, and it would just be. He'd be like, you know, it's like Andrew Dice Clay meets Gilbert Gottfried meets Tourette syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> that boy kid had no idea what was coming. Yeah, and he was just trying to like, you know, hold his own, but he he was like the flop sweat was visible on this poor comic, and Gilbert just had a field day. He also went on his Gilbert. Uh, draw, uh, Gilbert Dracula or Dracula Gottfried, um, and he would do. A, he loved obviously he was loved horror movies, and loved the doing, old ones, old Hollywood. Yes, the Universal monsters, and he loved doing the Bela Lugosi voice of Dracula. And you know, his, his the, the 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 I'm sorry, the speech that he would love to do would go, "Come to me, children of the night." <laughs> he, home i have no home he uh he did he loved the old hollywood and, and when he would have kids on of famous people from like the 30s or 40s and and he, he used to talk about that it's like tv stars were yeah look that's a tv star but movie star people on this big screen from the 30s 40s even the 50s and the 60s he just like had such reverence for um it's it's uh I'm, I'm trying to remember. He was a, his favorite of the monster actors was Lon Chaney Jr. Lon Chaney Jr. Right, the Wolfman. And um, I mean, I wasn't a big monster guy, and I kind of tuned out a lot of times when they would talk about the monster stuff because he would go down a rabbit hole. And even the other, and it's funny because he'd have guests on as soon as like, oh, were you a big monster kid growing up? No, I wasn't in the movies. He'd be dialed out like yeah, he right. basically pissed his Cheerios. He had no interest in talking to you after that. Yeah, yeah. 
Although you know who was a huge like monster head, and I think you know has a collection of me- uh, memorabilia that R- Gilbert would be jealous of is Kirk Hammett from Metallica, and they had him on as a guest, and they talked monster movies for like two hours straight. It was like you know one of the greatest experiences that Gilbert probably had. Did you know our our one degree of separation from Gilbert? No, he had Kathy, the author of the Paul Lynn book, on his podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so there, there you have it. So well, I'll be because, because you know, I think is that what you found out about the Paul Lynn book? Maybe from her being on it, the podcast. You know what? I it, subconsciously maybe you know I I know that they did a lot of like like smaller shows for Patreon only, and I wasn't part of that. But I thought you know I thought it, maybe I, I must have because Kathy it. had posted you know her in the studio with you know Gilbert and Frank. Wow. You know, promoting the book. Okay. You know, and I'm like, oh. And then she did our podcast, like, how the mighty have fallen. No, what are you talking about? We're great. Uh, We're great. Why are you saying we here? We're not so good. He, you know, another thing about Gilbert, he really didn't care. Like, he had Hollywood friends. Like, he, him and him and, him and Alan Thicke were really good friends. Uh, so good that they actually were did an episode of Wife, Wife Swap. Swap. Right. Where, <laughs> if, do you remember Wife Swap? Vaguely. I never watched it, but I knew of it. It was a show, it was a reality, one of the quote-unquote reality show on ABC, ABC where the two celebrities, um, usually male, I think. I don't know, sometimes they would do the female male. I don't know what they did. But they would swap wives. They would live in each other's homes, quote-unquote, for about a week. And um, the camera crew would follow them, and you would see their antics. So it would be Gilbert Gottfried living with uh, Alan Thicke's wife and family, and Alan Thicke, God rest his soul, living with Dara and maybe I don't know. I, I think they had children at that point, but um, yeah, yeah, they, they, they did. Yep. And it was funny because but small. The kids were small. Alan um, Gilbert did an impersonation of Alan Thicke singing his theme song to Thick of the Night, living in the thick of the night, living in the thick of the night. And it was just this very weird, you know, exaggerated version of Alan Thicke, but kind of accurate. And he would sing that to his to Alan Thicke's wife, and he go, she goes, he doesn't sound like that. And so they, but then like they pull up the theme song, and it's almost the same way <laughs> as Gilbert sang. And it's like, I, I, I guess he does sound like that. <laughs> um, hey, uh, Gilbert was a a great mimic. A oh great yeah, mimic. I mean the, the Jerry Seinfeld voice. You know why do you, you know who are these people? I so Joe and I obviously love the Marx Brothers and everybody, and I saw so many people on Twitter say Gilbert's the only one who would who would have the creativity and the balls because people have such reverence for the old Hollywood people to do old Groucho and his impression of and it's funny because. It, Joe Joe doing his impression of Gilbert doing old Groucho. Very few things in my life give me the joy. <laughs> because sometimes Joe will just say a line. And then sometimes Joe will just go on. And there's no stopping it. And, and, and the longer he goes on, the more I enjoy it. And it's just Gilbert. Like who else would do in the year 2020? Who else? I mean. Because, again, I mean, like I said, when his podcast started, he would have these 80-year-old people on 
who were big characters in TV shows he liked growing up from the 50s and the 60s. And uh, and then, it, you know, as it goes on, when he got bigger, but everybody knows Groucho, but nobody knows old Groucho. And then you if you go, it, it's almost like looking up the Alan Vick stuff with his wife. It, that His impression of old Groucho was spot on. Specifically, Groucho Marx appearing on the 1970s Dick Cavett show because Dick Cavett would have on. Dick Cavett was kind I mean, he was, a, you know, a big talk show host, but he would also have reverence for the stars of the 30s and 40s, the same as Gilbert would. And he would have on, like, you know, Sid Caesar and, you know, Milton Berle and Groucho Marx. But at that point, Groucho, and, you know, he would also have, like, you know, Mo from the Three Stooges. But, you know, at that point, Groucho was withering. You know, he wasn't completely out of it, but he he wasn't as zippy and as peppy as he once was. And his stories would kind of drone on, but Dick Cavett wouldn't interrupt him because it's Groucho Marx. Right. You're just going to let him go. So Gilbert picked up on that, and he would start to talk like this. And then the way Gilbert did the impersonation of old Groucho was talking about things the, the way things were back in my day. In my day, we didn't even have these things called automobiles and they would get you from one place to the other without walking now how would how would they do that well you put in this uh, this fuel you see called gasoline and gasoline in those days they came leaded and unleaded the unleaded it turned out was better and cheaper and then that's what we use now, is the unleaded gasoline. Now, we did that instead of walking. Now, walking... I was not... I'm looking at you like... I didn't want my face to at all indicate to stop. Because if that went on for the next half hour, I wouldn't have added any of that out. And, that's, and if you go back, if you have no life like me, and you want to go back and watch some Dick Cavett interviewing groucho on the youtubes uh yeah that's that's pretty spot on um I, i'm going to i'm gonna i'm just gonna throw joe a softball here joe i don't know if it's his favorite thing on the planet but if it's not it's damn close game shows and gilbert became one of those shows up on every game show type personalities but his appearances, and one in particular on Hollywood Squares, is probably one of the greatest moments, not in game show history, in television history. Yeah. <clears throat> so Hollywood Squares, originally back in the 70s. No, uh, so Hollywood Squares started in the 60s with Paul Lind and um, Peter Marshall as the host. And then it was revived in the 80s with John Davidson, Shadow Stevens, and uh, you know, uh, Joan Rivers was like a big, uh, uh, a big uh, guest on that iteration, and then it went into another version hosted by Tom Bergeron in the late '90s, and that's when Gilbert Gottfried was brought on as a kind of a regular panelist, um, and he loved doing that show. He loved doing that show because it was like riffing with other comedians, and 
And he, he knew how to play the game. He knew that the game was set up so that if you knew, you, you, you're trying to stump the contestant. You're trying to fool the contestant into thinking that you know or don't know what you're talking about so that they'll vote opposite and get it wrong. Or, you know, to basically make it difficult. And so there was one moment where Gilbert Gottfried was surprisingly the last square to need to be picked in order to complete the puzzle. And he was chosen not once, not twice, I think eight times. And they couldn't end the game because you can't just automatically, if you lose the question, it doesn't automatically go to the opponent. You have to win the square. And Gilbert was the only square left on this fucking board. And by law, they had to have him yeah, end on bo- a correct bo- answer. Both needed him to get three across. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so he, I mean, go on YouTube and watch the whole thing. But Tom Bergeron asks a question, multiple question. You know, um, you know, what was the name of the, um, what was the uh, name of the island that was covered uh, destroyed in the by the volcano in you know 29 AD, and you know Gilbert would say like, oh, that was the Fiji Islands, and the person would say, uh, I I agree, you fool, and it was Pompeii. He and, would say it so convincing. He would, you know, the the standard thing, throw a question, the first thing you say is a joke. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. And then, and then he would think about it. It's like, yeah, no, I know this because I studied this or I knew about it. Oh, there's this great document. He sold it. He didn't just throw out an answer. And the whole and who else was um I'm trying it's funny because one of the other squares was Whoopi Goldberg, who also went on to host. She was a executive producer. Uh she, 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 of that. she produced the Hollywood squares, yeah. Um, Teller was on it from Penn and Teller. Um, you mean Penn? Penn. Yes. <laughs> Teller. A little bit different. Not, not, little not, 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 not that good I think it was Penn. At, literally, I think it was Penn and Teller. Okay. Sarah Square. So you get half a But it was all these other comics. Bruce Valanche, of course. Oh, the best. The best. But yeah, that that has to be. I mean, you put that top 10 game show moments, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's that's going to be you know played ad infinitum on YouTube. Like, I think if. Once YouTube gets bought out by Disney and Disney wipes everything off of YouTube, that will remain. Like that and maybe something like some cat video will remain on YouTube. So it's funny you say Disney. What a nice segue. Gilbert Gottfried being the darling of Disney who would have thought – like even he's like, you want to put me in a G-rated Disney movie? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I think, you know – Probably where most kids my in my age and younger first heard of Gilbert Gottfried probably would be as the voice of Iago, not a parrot. I mean, is it a parrot? I forget. Iago the the bird um, from Aladdin, uh, who was like uh, yeah he was the the cohort of Jafar the evil prince or what? No, what was he? Um, I, what was he in Jafar? I don't know. He was the uh, the Sultan's. Yeah, like the like, advisor. Exactly, right. He, he was like trying to overthrow and take over. But um, yeah, him, him, you know, I'm molting. I'm molting. Oh, great. I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Not surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so he became, yeah, and he would go on to do like the voice of Iago for like, you know, the video game and the, the direct DVD sequel. And maybe I think they made two sequels. I don't know. 
Um, and um, yeah, then he would go on to play a bird later on on the TV show Cyber Chase on PBS with uh, opposite Christopher Lloyd. Oh, yeah. that's great! It's uh, a lot. A lot of things went around in the past week of Gilbert. Funny clips from Howard Stern and, and, and the different shows he's been on. It was one of those get get out the tissues. I think it was like Rex Chapman. I saw it on his Twitter feed. Guess it was some autistic adult who had some lost speech. Whatever he's battling, he you know he lost speech. And one of the ways he learned to re-speak, for some reason, he really gravitated to that character from Aladdin. And he's doing that. There's like it's some get together where all these you know uh, uh, you know. Am I right to say autistic kids or kids with you know autism yep. were getting together and and kind of re- doing a script reading of this along with a screening of the movie, and and when one of the long, you know, you know passages from from that character came in, Gilbert came in doing the voice, and the kids just lost. It. I mean, and and Gilbert obviously realized what he meant to that kid and it's one of those things where you might you know gilbert has the claim to fame of being the first comic canceled on twitter you know um or you know getting himself canceled because of his tweets with the tsunami in japan uh but he he also he was the voice of the aflac duck and he was dropped by aflac afterwards but he did, you know, you, all these stories come out of the stuff you don't hear about that he would show up for these events. That was the one and only time he was a really decent human being. I mean, I guess he was a pretty good guy. Well, yeah. And then he also did in a good documentary. It closes with him doing a benefit, um, doing a benefit stand up at a St. Jude fundraiser because his you know sister was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, I guess, you know, he, he they felt that that was a uh, something that he wanted to do uh some charity for so yeah like as cheap as he was with himself and his purchases he wasn't so much with his comedy and his celebrity you know right yeah um i'm gonna confess something now that i don't think i told you okay and it's it's me being cheap it was i pulled a gilbert on myself last christmas i gave you my heart but the very next day, no, no. Uh, so I think it was. I think it was either last Christmas or the one before. The I think maybe maybe the one before that. I went on to Gilbert's cameo site, and for one hundred fifty dollars, I almost almost bought a cameo for Carnival personnel. Oh, to say oh to say like you you're know killing me to say you you know you um. I'm never coming back kind of thing. You know, like basically having Gilbert saying, you know, shit on it. Just shit on us. Yeah. Oh. And, I, and I just like, you know what? I can't. I, uh, oh. And I, and I just didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I had like, you know, the little blurb written out and I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to like play it out. Like how he's going to interpret the way I'm putting the notes together. And if it's going to, if he's going to do it or whatever. And I'm like, and I think it was close to Christmas time. And I don't know. And I just like, eh, I just didn't do if, it. If you could go back 20 years, 30 years ago and have bought an Apple stock <laughs> or gotten Gilbert <laughs> to do this cameo, which, which would you choose? Oh, I do the, the, the cameo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, I was, you fool. <laughs> you fool. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. I had, I had to use oh. the, to make this, 
tribute to Gilbert and sort of a in memoriam to Gilbert, even sadder. I had to break that news to you. I almost had a Gilbert cameo for Carnival personnel. And um, although there was a, a, a funny video, I saw Gilbert doing a cameo for this guy who every Christmas he gives his sister the biggest bitch award. <laughs> and so he taped one Christmas or yeah, I think Christmas or birthday. He tapes his sister coming to the living room and sitting in front of a TV with like a package in front of her. And it's Gilbert's, you know, cameo on the TV. And he says, your brother, Frank, wanted you, you know, wanted to say happy birthday or Merry Christmas. And he wants you to open the package and see what he got you this year. And she opens the package and it's like, you won the biggest bitch award. You're the biggest bitch. Happy birthday or Merry Christmas, you know. And it was like. The, the sweetest present she'd ever gotten oh, from her brother. Great. So her brother was willing to pay. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, hey, maybe if we got some money from this podcast from you, those defunct sponsors. You, you know, you stop letting me use the defunct sponsors. We're blowing it all on <laughs> Stella Artois and Dr. Pepper. Um, oh, I'm so sorry, though. I, I really am. Yeah, no. Yeah. And you know what? Like, of all the, 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 the nice presences, and, oh. you know... <laughs> From all the, uh, you know, after all the good things you've gotten me over the years, and some of the good things I've gotten you, that's one that just slipped away. Just got away. God damn oh, it! No, now, 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 now. But the, you know, they say it's the thought that counts. They lie. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they. Do you want me lie. to do a cameo as Gilbert Gottfried? <laughs> you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, I very. Um, well, hold on. I'll go sign up for the app, and I'll get you know, I'll find the Joe, and I'll have the Joe do it. Um. Uh, so, Joe and I have always liked Gilbert. That's obvious. His podcasts. Eh, sometimes, if I didn't know the person, you know, I I listened to probably two thirds of them. But there are some episodes of his podcast which just are just. I've gone back and re-listened to a number of times. Some of them are surprising ones, like the one with Mike Nesmith was really really good. Mike Nesmith of the Monkeys. But Gilbert did get repetitive, and he would make almost the same jokes every episode. And I'm going to leave this to Joe to see, to see if he wants to, 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 to go deeper into this. But there, one of my favorite tweets about him dying is, what do you think the first three questions Gilbert asked God when he gets up there? Do you, do, you, do you see that tweet? Like it was a big no. person. Uh, no, no. What, where am I going? Where are you going? Uh, what, what What are the three things that he mentioned almost every podcast? Um, I mean, about the what this like the um Caesar Romero. Yep, that's why Caesar Romero had boy toys that would uh that he hired to one I, I, every once in a while he would stand in a pool of water and have these boy toys throw orange wedges at his bare ass. That was one apocryphal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other was, um, oh, what was it? The, the, the Cunnilingus monkeys? No. Okay, no, that was that didn't make the top the top three. What? Um, Saint Jude's. Oh God, yes, <laughs> Danny Thomas. Well, that was that's a that's a street story that everybody knows. Danny Thomas of my you know, Make Room for Daddy 
a founder of St. Jude's Hospital, uh, that he did a benefit for, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, um, would like to, allegedly like to hire prostitutes and have them stand over coffee tables under which he would lie and have them uh, defecate through these glass coffee hey, tables. Hey, it's not us making it up. Look, you know, go to go, go look it up. You know, what, what is, you know, I think he phrases, what is the Danny Thomas? And what about helicopter? And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the kind of guilt that makes you build children's hospitals. That's Jim Carrey's line. And then the, uh, uh, no, the last one is Marlon Brando. Oh, that's a new one. The Quincy Jones story about Marlon Brando. Quincy Jones was interviewed about, like, five years ago, and he blurted out that he knows for a fact that Marlon Brando, I don't know if he witnessed it or if he just knew that Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor got high once and um, had sex with each other. And, um, yeah, Gilbert found that very um, eye-opening. let that one go. No, <laughs> no. That, that, that wound up being part of his OCD, like, repertoire that he, he would just have random guests on. And if the guests knew the story about, like, Danny Thomas or about Richard <laughs> Pryor. Romero. Cesar Romero. They would be like, oh, yeah, no, that's weird. Right. Let's move on. And if they didn't, oh, the delight. And sometimes the producer or his co-host Frank would try to kind of reel him in a bit. And then there's sometimes it's like, all right, just let him get it out of his suit. He <laughs> rejoiced so much in telling, you know, those stories. What was the was. Mike Nesbitt story where he was on a plane with Mike Nesbitt? And was it, was it Gilbert who was on a plane? And Gilbert was reading a script for like some really like shitty movie and he gives the plot of the movie to Mike Nesmith and Mike Nesmith goes sounds like a piece of shit and it was <laughs> it was a shitty movie uh, look up Gilbert's IMDB page it's it's amazing how much how how much work he did oh god yeah I mean he played uh, you know uh, the in the problem child movies you know he played the, uh, the so two different characters so in two different movies so great um what else i mean more recently he played abraham lincoln he did a cameo with abraham lincoln in how um a million ways to die in the west the seth MacFarlane western didn't he also reprise his abe lincoln on jimmy kimmel i think it was abe lincoln on jimmy Kimmel Maybe. as well he um i mean he he played adolf hitler in a uh history historical roast of anne frank yeah uh i guess jeff ross who produced that uh, those things jeff ross he's another podcast altogether um i guess jeff ross was like with gilbert towards the end oh. like he was that close with gilbert um i'm not sure where he passed if it was in florida or not he'd been living in florida in his final you know months um you know um as you know that's where you go to die i guess <laughs> um and a lot of other people but you know he'd be the first to tell you you know if he wasn't dead yeah right <laughs> Um, God, I mean, there's just, what else from Gilbert's, I mean, he was on, you see him on like, you know, the Norm Macdonald talk show, um, the uh, late night with David Letterman, you know, um, I mean, he just made so many appearances on so many different panel shows. He would just pop up, um, just everywhere. I mean, you know, even after he was canceled by Aflac. He, you know, because of the podcast and stuff, kind of stayed in the zeitgeist and kind of right. stayed in 
the public eye and, and the people's consciousness. I, I, I mean, up until a few months ago, maybe it's a little longer ago, because I think we thought about going and seeing him. He was in New Hampshire maybe a year yeah, or so ago. Yeah. I mean, he was still a touring comic. I think, you know, we're going to, I'm going to end the podcast going out on, uh, I don't want to say it's a line that Joe and I say all the time. I'll just, at least once a month, I'll just text Joe four words. It's a punchline to one of Gilbert's joke. And I don't want to say it now because it gives it away, but it's one of those jokes the F&H listeners will appreciate. It's it's like a Paul Lacroix joke where it can be a twenty minute a twenty minute joke or a twenty second joke, and I think this is about a five six minute clip uh, that's worth the payoff. It's 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 worth the payoff. Um, he was he was a, I, I I regret that I didn't see him do stand up. I mean, I don't regret that I didn't get him to do a kid, but I wouldn't I didn't even think about that. I didn't even I don't even think about oh yeah we could have got Ed Astor to do it because all those people do. There's a, a video, uh, speaking of his cameo, uh, that I just discovered. There's, somebody put together a metal it's a, a metal cover of the the song to Mortal Kombat. You know Mortal Kombat, the game? Yeah, yeah. And in the, in the game, in the song, they have the big hook was a guy yelling, Mortal Kombat! Well, they would get Gilbert Gottfried to read all of the lines from Mortal Kombat and then incorporate that into the song. But... They wanted him to yell Mortal Kombat, kind of like how it was done in the song. But instead, they got a good reading, but it was more like Mortal Kombat. They got Gilbert reading it. Yeah. And it was and then they show the you know, they show him popping up and doing the lines and incorporating it into the song. And it's a really good cover. It's like a four minute song. And then at the end of the video you see the unedited cameo. Of all of the line reading, all of the disjointed line readings. And he's literally like, he's like Ron Burgundy. Somebody mistyped the word excellent. You know, it's supposed to be read excellent. And he wrote, he, he read, read it and as XLNT because somebody mistyped excellent. So he literally just read what he saw. That's great. And he didn't even know what he was reading. He could have read White I'm Power. Ron Burgundy? Yeah, right. <laughs> Who put a question mark in there? Fred Willard, another great person gone. And by the way, I will bring up the eeriness of Norm MacDonald, Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, and Gilbert Gottfried all dying within a year of each other. And there's like a photo of like the like three of those guys. Louis together. Anderson, Louis, right? Yeah, Louis, Bob's Gilbert, and Bob together in a picture. And that was like tweeted out. He actually, I think Gilbert tweeted that out like three weeks prior to his death. So. You know, uh, they say this was, they said it with Norm, you know, they, they said it with Bob Einstein, and it's true. There's not going to be another Gilbert. There's there's not. I mean, he created a market for himself, you know? I mean, nobody wrote lines. Like, Gilbert never did a role that I don't think was written for Gilbert. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. Although he was told that he would have been a good penguin by Adam West. Yeah. And he was almost cast as Flattop or Mumbles in the Dick Tracy movie. Um, but then he did remember the story he told on the yeah. podcast about how, oh yeah, it's you know, he, he read for the part 
and the producers were like, "That's so great! It's a you know, it's a done deal. We can't wait to have be working with you. You're you know, you're you're such a great fit." And then weeks go by and nothing is heard from regarding the movie or the filming or when things are gonna start. And then all of a sudden, he hears that uh, his cast, his role was recast, um, and the part went to Dustin Hoffman, which, as he put it is the only time you heard his name and Dustin Hoffman's name in t- in the same sentence basically the sentence being um we uh we heard Gilbert Gottfried and he's no Dustin Hoffman <laughs> uh Joe thank you for making the incredulous journey over here any last thoughts on cuz cuz I do I I you know I, it's it's it is it's a shame because I, I, he's probably, like I said, I didn't love every podcast he did. I'm not saying everything he ever did was great, but two out of every three, you know, were worth listening to. And one out of every 10, I would re-listen to a few times, you know? Yeah. I was going to, I'm just going to go back and start listening to some of the, like the, the hits. I mean, him with Artie Lang. Yeah. Oh my, they're just so good together. They were good on the, the Christmas episodes with Mario Cantone are great. Um, yeah, I mean, I do want to, you know, and I'm a, I'm a nobody. You're a nobody. We're both two nobodies talking to nobody. But I do want to just uh, stay on the, say, state on the record that I do have condolences, offer condolences to anybody affected by Gilbert in, in, the, in the, you know, Gilbert's family, Frank, um, you know, anybody that worked with him. It's a huge loss. I can't imagine them, you know, what they're feeling. His kids. The kids are teenagers, you know, early teenagers. His, and he that. lost he lost his father when he was a teenager, and his dad was sixty six. His sister passed away early too, or I don't think anybody in the family made seventy. Yeah, I'm not sure how. And his sister had actually passed during the making of that documentary, right. and they dedicated the movie to her. Uh, Arlene and Garfried, great photographer, amazing photographer, won awards. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's sad. It was a real like I think. Knock on wood. This is not wood, but I'm pretending it is. I hope Gil- I hope I die before Weird Al Yankovic. Dies. Oh, I do not like because Gilbert was a bummer. But I, I, you know, I, I, you know, it was getting pretty close. Like I, it's not like John Ritter dying and Jimmy Kimmel going on air the next day and crying about it. You know, like I'm not there with Gilbert, but you know, he was about as as close as I. He's probably like one of the best comedians that are just the close. we talk about gilbert every week the comedian that i'm most like engaged yeah with i mean because of his podcast we talk about his podcast on a regular basis between us did you hear this no you have to listen to this one like i said uh, oh thank you and uh, and um you fool and 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 the punchline to the joke i'm going to play at the end those are three things that either i text joe or joe texts me on a weekly basis Dude, I don't even want to think how you're going to be when Weird Al goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, luckily, he's a, a very healthy man who doesn't have cancer in his family or anything like that. So I don't want to make this about you know people I don't want to see die. But yeah, I mean, Gilbert Gilbert was and it just came out of nowhere. And it's just like, uh, yeah. Like Norm MacDonald, he kept it quiet. Yeah. Like nobody outside in small bubble. They never hinted about it on the show. Right. And I guess, you know, because... It, I mean, really, in the end, why do that? Like, why 
hang that over your fans and the public's head? Like why? Like yeah, what? every interview would be people asking about it or what? Well, I mean, unless you're like Glenn Campbell and you're going out like with Alzheimer's or something, and he wants to like say goodbye, kind of thing, which in and of itself is amazingly sad. But you know, if something like this is happening, where it's just like, well, you know, I'm gonna f- go on and soldier on and do my best to stay healthy and you know keep working with dates on the books until until it, you know things uh, stop. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to end this. It's kind of like yeah, no, I, I, I. The only good thing about these is I get you to come over here and do the podcast. So, so that's that's yeah, always a little weird. We didn't have podcasts. <laughs> we had radio, and radio back in those days, you had to sit down and listen. You couldn't even listen in your car yet. You know, when the radio first came out, they were the size of like. Of ovens, you know, and it's you'd sit around in your living room and listen to the president. All the president would talk all day long on the radio, and you look forward to that, listening to the president on the radio. Um, and then, but that's what we listened to. And then you know, I got on the radio, and it was a, it was a good. I, I thought it was, it was a good thing. But we didn't have podcasts. We went from the radio into the, the world, into pictures, you see. And I made some pictures with my brothers. We called ourselves the Marx Brothers because we were all named Marx. Well, they said, uh, they called me Groucho because they said I had a grouchy attitude. And then I had a brother named Hoppo. And it's because they played the harp, you see. And we we call him Harpo. Now, we also had a brother named Chico. And they said, well, you know, why, is, why, they said to us, why would you, Chico, why would you put him in these pictures? And I tell them, because Chico needed the money, you see. And so we did the pictures with, uh, there was another brother there, his name uh, with Zeppo, yeah. Zeppo, we was one of the Marx Brothers, you see. And there are four of us, we'd get together, and we'd do these pictures, moving pictures. You know, they would move on the screen. It would be projected from this device called a projector. And it would be flickering lights, you see. And it would look like there were moving pictures on the screen. Now, You'd sit and you watch these pictures in a place called a theater. And then so in my day, you would watch these movies, not on the telephone like you do nowadays. You're sitting down and you dress yourself up. You go out and you, you, you pay a nickel or a dime and you go in the door. You get yourself a, a refreshment maybe. I go, you know, like a licorice or cigarettes or uh, uh, you get yourself, um, what so they call them, the seltzers, seltonic waters. And you sit down and you sit down in these things called theaters. In the theaters, they have lots of chairs 
not, not like the chairs in the dining room, you know. You'd have them side by side, you see, and you'd sit there with rows of chairs, so many chairs, and you'd sit down and you watch them. <laughs> I'm not editing any of that. <laughs> and then it's a, um, then my mother would tell me these wonderful stories and things back in her day. You know, um, what would she say? Oh, she would say, um, don't forget. An old Jewish woman brings her grandson to the beach, her three-year-old grandson, the old Jewish woman falls asleep in the sand and the grandson starts wandering off. A wave sweeps him up and drags him further and further out into the water. The Jewish woman is yelling, save my grandson. And a man runs forward, leaps in the water and is swimming against the currents and the waves are knocking him against the rocks, and he's getting all bloody. Then he finally swims out, grabs the little boy, lifts him up out of the water. A giant shark starts coming at them, and, and the man starts beating off the shark. Well, I don't mean beating off the shark. Beat. Because if you beat off the shark, that would make the shark stick around. So he's beating off the shark, and the shark's going, oh, 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 no. He's, he's punching. Wait, should I start from the beginning? He, he. <laughs> there are two sharks there now. And one is fingering the pussy, the other is beating off, and he's talking dirty. Yeah. That's it. I'm figuring your pussy, you fucking shark tooth bitch. And I'm beating you off. Fuck you, bitch. Okay, where was I? So he's holding the, the little kid. He brings him to the shore and he drops him on the sand. And then the kid's not breathing and he's pumping his arms up and down. Finally, the boy spits up water, and he's alive. And uh, the beach is cheering. And, and the old Jewish grandmother goes, he had a hat. 